Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hello, welcome back to another week of the Multifaceted Athlete. I am so excited for this conversation today. It's another guest interview. Told you we'd be back. But today I have on the podcast Sarah Scazzaro. She is a fellow run coach and personal trainer. She has so much information about strength training out there. If you are in need of some assistance there, her Instagram is really good. Um, before I go off on a tangent about Sarah, we have been connected on Instagram for a while and have chatted back and forth maybe for like the past year. And most recently, she just completed the Western States 100. So I invited Sarah on to have a chat about what her experience was like, how long it took her to get in, time leading up to the race, the race itself, finishing at golden hour, and just the magical experience that was Western States. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And yeah, without further ado, enjoy my chat with Sarah Scazzaro. (laughs) (laughs) Especially since we're just going right into it. So right into it. Yeah. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. First of all, we've already been talking for 30 minutes about random things. <laughs> <laughs> so random. We should have really recorded those. Those are the, the, beats, the B-sides, the I outtakes. Know. Yeah, I keep meaning to, but I also feel kind of weird having someone just hop right into a recording, you know what I mean? And then yeah. as you're talking, it's like, when do we actually start this? Because you don't know yeah. when a gem's coming. No, and we had a lot of them. We did, talking about Sorry, murders, everyone. cats cats those were the big ones yeah Yeah. (laughs) but we are here today to talk mostly about western states and wherever our tangents lead us (laughs) (laughs) hold on folks (laughs) yeah so first how are you feeling it's been a little over a week since you completed western states oh mentally i'm on a high still i'm right i'm on cloud 15 whatever we want to call it um, physically, I actually feel really good. Uh, I had a little kerfluffle with my tailbone, which is the most sore. I'm sitting on a donut right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so if you see me shifting around, those of you listening won't see it, but poor Kelly gets to see me like moving around <laughs> on my chair here. Um, and my feet are a little sore. I did have a couple mm-hmm. blisters, which was part of par for the course, literally figured with the moisture out there. But otherwise, I feel great. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel really good. Like I want to run. Oh. I wanted to run several days ago. Yeah. Normally it's like, oh, no, I'm going to, no, but no, I like, oh, I wish I could run. But when are you planning to do your first run? When my tailbone doesn't hurt. So it oh, that's fair. Yeah. It could be a while. I don't know. We'll see. Although sitting and laying down hurt at the worst, walking and standing feel better. So I've been hmm. doing a lot of walking. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Is that from... So you posted on Instagram today. We're recording on Monday, July 2nd, 3rd? 3rd, yeah. America. Okay, is it? Tomorrow. Yeah. 
But you posted that you fell on the snow at mile seven and a half. Is that where your tailbone? Yes. And it was kind of a fall, kind of being dumb. So (laughs) I was trying to make the most of the situation, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's it was in certain areas, it was shaded sections and it was it was it was a hill and the ice and the snow was kind of frozen. It wasn't like fluffy snow, so it would be easy to take a step and kind of slip and slide. And then you're going behind lots of people that have already done that. And so to kind of mitigate that, my incredibly fun brain decided let's sit and slide down some of these hills. So I won't <laughs> so I won't fall. I'll yeah. just take the falling part out of it. I'll just start on the ground and move from there. Yeah. And which a lot of people were doing and worked great until one of those situations I slid right into a pack of frozen ice like Ooh. with and hit it with my tailbone. That's Ooh. what hit it first. And as soon as it happened, it was a crunch and a pop. And it was like, well, and I looked down at my watch and I'm like, ah, that's when this happens. Like this could be the thing, not knowing like because it took my breath away. Yeah. And I thought, is this is this the injury that I never had on my bingo card? I was so worried about my knee. And I was so worried about twisting an ankle and all those normal things you think about. I never had tailbone yeah. on my on my wild card. So I think it was just the universe's way of saying, you don't need to worry about your knee. We're going to let you focus <laughs> on this. And it was sore and mostly going downhills, which is excellent on a net downhill course. And if I sat down at any point, which I didn't do much of as much as I could avoid, which you should, any, you know, with aid stations anyways. But yeah. that's the only time that it really bothered me. But the drive home was another level. I believe it. Is it how yeah. far was that drive? It was 13 hours if you go just with the app. But if you stop every 45 minutes or so to stretch and walk mm-hmm. and offload your butt, it was a lot longer than that. Yeah, that's a lot of sitting time. Yeah, but it was pretty. Oregon's beautiful. Yeah, I we I started, we took Monday off and then I drove Tuesday and Wednesday. I broke it up. So mm. I took two days to get home. That was smart. Yeah. I, yeah. I had a moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we dive into all the details of your race experience, when did you first know you wanted to do Western States? Oh, gosh. So I'm from, well, spent most of my childhood in Northern California in an area called Folsom, which isn't that far away from Auburn, which is where Western States ends. And after I graduated high school and I got into, I originally started marathon training with Tiemann Training, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. That's how I really got into it. And a lot of my friends that I met through there were also trail runners and were also like getting into that. They were branching off from marathoning into trail running. And so you'd hear it come up a lot because it was right there in the area. Well, we're volunteering or, oh, so-and-so is running. And it really intrigued me, but it wasn't one of those things of like, oh, I've got to do it. Like at that age, you know, it was more of like, you knew it was around. Mm-hmm. And then in 2002, I had a massive knee injury. Mm-hmm. So I didn't run for eight years. There's there's a big backstory behind that. But and I moved overseas. With, I got married, moved overseas. And I missed, I, prior to that happening, I had been running on the trails and I had been enjoying the area. And so it was just one of those things that like, gosh, I wish I hadn't missed the opportunity to do that. And this is when I thought I still couldn't run. And I really wish I had taken advantage of that, of being there. And then when I was able to run again in 2010, um, immediately put it on my radar of Mm -hmm. like, okay, that would be amazing. You know, at first it was like, oh, do another marathon. It was like, God, but if I could do that. And then in 2012, I got my first qualifier, which at the time was a 50 miler because they still accepted 50 mile qualifiers back then. And I did Mm -hmm. the JFK 50. And that was, that was the qualifier that year. Um, 
so yeah, so it's been like at least 11 years, 12 yeah. years, probably if you think about like conception to actual doing it, like of like, okay, I'm running again. I'm able to do this thing. Like st- having that glimmer of hope of like, huh, let's just put this out in the distance and see if we can make it happen. So at the time when you were like, I want to do Western States, you hadn't run an ultra period yet? No. So I, I knew it was there and I was like, that would be something super cool to do. So let's start building and see if we can like how the knee responds. So I did a marathon and then I did a 50K and then I did a 50 miler, got my qualifier. And I was like, okay, so all along kind of my process has been, I'm just going to keep seeing how the body feels and I'm just going to keep going forward. And if the body says no, then it's a no. And the body didn't say no. And I ran my first hundred in 2014. And then from there, it was just like, all right, let's just keep going. Let's just keep trying to get a qualifier every year. Yeah. And what I, was your first hundred? Rio del Lago in California, which is oh. starts in Folsom and you do part of the American River 50 trail, the way to cool and uh, a little bit of the Western States trail. So like we finished coming off of the Western States trail and no hands bridge to Roby Point and Rio del Lago encompasses part of that Auburn Lakes trail area. So I did that in 2014 and 2015. Wow. They changed the course between the two years, though. So I prefer the 2014 course. Sorry. <laughs> I understand why they made the changes, though. It was It's become a very big race. And in order to accommodate all the people, there was a section where there was a lot of congestion. And they spread that mm-hmm. out by changing the course. But yeah, so that was my first 100. That's awesome. Thank you. It was fun. It was great. First one was amazing. The second one, which is kind of why we'll get back to like the whole would I do states again thing. The mm-hmm. first experience was like sound of music, flowers and butterflies and unicorns. And the second <laughs> one was pain. <laughs> that one was hard. And that one was kind of left me going, gosh, I should have just maybe left that race the way it was, like that m- initial memory of it. Yeah. What made the second race harder? I had a very ambitious time goal mm-hmm. and I got too wrapped up in that versus just enjoying the experience. And which is why I didn't do that with States. And also the first 20 miles, a lot of it's on pavement. And your girl didn't pace herself well back then (laughs) on that. You know, delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Happens to the best of us. (laughs) Happens to the best of us. Fully transparent. That's why when I tell people, please don't do that. It's because I know what it's like when you do that. And you cannot bank time that way. You can bank time in the sense that you, when you have your death march that inevitably happens at night, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've you've saved some time for that death march, but it's not how you, you shouldn't have to do the death march if you pace yourself well. Yeah. And you lose it in the end anyways. You lose it in the end anyways. So it wasn't, wasn't worth it. But you finished. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. So. And then you did Loveville too at some point, right? I did. 2018. Three weeks after I did Never Summer 100K. Whoa. I've heard good things about Never Summer. Oh, my favorite race. Really? Oh my God. Of all times? T- mm, no, no. Prior to States. <laughs> <laughs> it's the prettiest race I've ever done to this day. Ooh, okay. And it still has like that small feel. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like Leadville and States are big productions. Oh yeah. And it ha- still has more of that grassroots feel, but it is the prettiest race. I did it in 2017 and 2018. And I tell everybody if they can do that race, do that race. They have a 60K option now. So you don't have to do the full 100K if you don't want to. You still yeah. get the harder parts of the course. Stunning course. And such, NAR Runners does such a great job with their race production. And Nick Clark is just such a great dude. It's just a great race. Nice. Yeah, maybe I'll add it to my list. 
because that's not super far from me. No. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Maybe next year. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll remember this conversation. I'm such an enabler. I'm like, do it. (laughs) I know. I feel like a lot of ultra runners who I speak to are enablers. You just listen to everyone's stories and then you're like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, the list of races you want to do gets longer and longer. And it's hard because there's only so many that you can intelligently do mm-hmm. in a season or a year and do it right and not abuse yourself. But it's hard because a lot of them fall within a very short window of each other. I so. know. Yeah, you have to pick and choose. And then I don't know if you're like me, but I sometimes struggle to be like, this one's going to be next year and then already have like years laid out, you know, yeah. versus like. I think for me, it was always like so myopic in the sense that it was always states. And then what what do I need to do to make states happen? Yeah. But enjoying the process. It wasn't just like ticking off a goal. It was like, what race does, do I want to do like Never Summer that mm-hmm. will get me the qualifier, but also get me an amazing experience as well? And so then it was always like all bets are off once I get into states. Any race I thought I was doing that year, no more because states will always take precedence of that. So... But yeah, too many races, not enough time. Yeah, especially one like states where, because you, each year you had a qualifier, you were in the lottery. Is that yeah, correct? except for the year that I had to do a medical buy and mm, yeah. then COVID. Yeah. Yeah, good old pandemic. Yeah, good old COVID. <laughs> Gift that keeps giving. I think we were all in the same boat there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then obviously this past year, you were picked in the lottery. I was. Do you remember how you felt on that day? Like when you found out? Yes, it's vivid. I was watching it on the YouTube live stream. And I also had it on my phone refreshing the the, the names. And I went into the kitchen. It's probably more information than you want. And I was making my husband fried pickles in our air fryer. <laughs> so I wasn't, at that moment, I wasn't watching the live stream. I was flipping the pickles. Yeah. Take that what you want with that. I was flipping the pickles. <laughs> and... I refreshed it and my name was the first name on the top, number 97. It's just my name. And I literally like, and then I started screaming and then I started crying. And then five minutes later, we realized I burnt the pickles because I was, I was (laughs) jumping and screaming. And my husband's like, what, what, what? I'm like, what? And I'm sobbing and I got in and it was just, I know exactly how I felt. It is vivid. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I saw my name and then I had to pull it up and rewatch my name getting said and then I had friends that were instantly texting me I of one friend mm-hmm. that was there named Hal and he's like oh holy shit you're in you know and so it's just like oh my god yeah it was awesome awesome the best lottery you can win in my name in, in in my opinion yeah I can imagine especially after so many years of trying to get in and yeah. not getting in yeah but you know yeah. you got to play the long game yeah. I was just butting up against, you know, with the osteoarthritis in my knee from set injury in 2002 of how long can I keep? It's not the race that gets me. It's the progression of the training and the volume. And I, I yeah. have to at my age and not only like my biological age, but my injury age, you know, it being 21 years now, I have to go into an events significantly less trained than most people in terms of like mm-hmm. specific run training. Yeah. And I'm at peace with that now. You know, the, the numbers that I used to be able to throw up and the athlete that I used to be, it's, it's that's not what I can do anymore and maintain a semblance of health mm-hmm. and sanity, you know, without hurting and being in pain and honoring my body. So once I made peace with that and more of like I always talk about things are a process, 
you know, I'm very process oriented. And it's like, well, what can I do to find that balance of, you know, getting to the race, getting to the start line in a good space to where I can have an experience and not be like abusing my body. Um, and I, one thing like, not to toot my own horn, but one thing that I really pride myself on is I'm really mentally like, I'm so confident when it comes to race. I know what I need to do. And so I just rely on that. Yeah. Like I know things can go wrong, but I'm just so confident in, in my problem solving abilities and my pacing and my fueling. It's like, if I can get to the start line, there's no doubt that I can finish assuming nothing catastrophic happens. Yeah. You know, like falling on your tailboat. <laughs> but like, so I, I just, I, I, that's the one part of my life where I'm completely like confident about where I'm like, I don't second guess myself there. I second guess myself a lot in life. I think most of us do, yeah. but that's one thing where I'm like, no, I know what I need to do. I know what I'm doing. I can do this. And I don't know. It just works, I guess. It's worked out so far. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good skill to have. I think it meant, it's meant ultra training is and ultra running is so mental. Mm -hmm. It's so, I mean, you have to have the physical training. Absolutely. But I, you know, I'm sure you've had this too. I work with athletes that have all the physical skill and none of the mental confidence. And the athlete that has less of the physical preparedness, but more of the mental side of things will generally do better. Yeah. They just, they just believe in themselves. They can stay calm in tricky situations. They just don't get, they don't get intimidated or overwhelmed. And it, it just really translates into good race experiences for them. Mm -hmm. You know, they they have the the brain to put in front of that engine and it works. Yeah. And especially as you get longer, like you're yeah. going to have something to overcome during the race. And if mentally you can't handle that, then yeah, it's going to get dark. Yeah. And like literally and figuratively. Yeah. But like, <laughs> and, and I have to say like, and I do tell my athletes this, like, there is going to be a low moment. And if you don't think there's going to be one, you're going to be really, really smacked up the backside when it happens and mm -hmm. you, you'll panic. And so if you just expect and like, okay, uh, it's going to come and I will welcome it and I will tell it it can take, you know, but don't stay long. Like you just acknowledge and then move on. And I was prepared for that, but I, I, I didn't have that this race. I didn't have one low moment. So I was like, oh, well, my visitor didn't come and that's okay. Like, <laughs> But, and that's the first race I can really say that I didn't have what that one of those, what the hell am I doing out here thoughts? Because yeah. I think it's very normal. I, oh, we yeah. all have them. Yeah. Most I of had us it in an eight mile race this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I remember Leadville and my pacer Jeff can attest to this. I'm like the last two or three miles and it's hot and I've been out there all day. And that was the only other race I chased cutoffs. And that was just stupid pacing on my part. Mm-hmm. I was too tired to even pee. So I'm just like standing, peeing up, just peeing, standing up. No, literally. And he's like, okay, well, that's good. And I was like, this is stupid. This is stupid. Why am I doing this? And it was like, that's not me. But in that mm -hmm. moment, I just had that low and I got over it and it yeah. was fine. But it's like, if you fight it, if you start to get beat up on yourself over that, it, it's like, just acknowledge it and move on. Yeah. Otherwise, you just like ruminate in it too much. You yeah. go down the rabbit hole and then there's... It's harder Spiral. and harder to get out of it. Yeah. Especially like, oh, I'm not making my time goal. And oh, I'm nauseous. So then I'm not making my time goal. And then I'm not fueling because I'm not. It's like, it's just a spiral. And it, it just gets, you can see people panicking in real time. You know, they're just kind of losing that mental confidence. And it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Mental strength is such a good skill for ultras. I mean, any distance really of running. You mentioned that you've come to peace with not being like the athlete you used to be and hitting times. How 
did you get to that point? Because I see that so much, especially I've seen a lot with moms. Yeah. As you can imagine, I'm not a mom, so I can't fully relate. But same, you know, your body goes Cats. through a lot of changes. Yeah. <laughs> Cats not quite the same, but yeah. <laughs> I think for me, what made it, I I've always loved running. Like when I was six years old, my parents, I, w- I did my first 5Ks. I mean, oh, cool. Oh, yeah, because my parents didn't have to do with my energy. So my dad was like, oh, run. And I would run with him. And then he was like, oh, she's really into this. So then he'd bike and I'd run, you know, alongside him. And I just love running, like Forrest Gump. I just love to run. And when it came to the point with my knee injury where it was, you can try to push yourself and have a limited time with this thing that you love, or you can throttle back and not have yourself wrapped up in ego, which I've completely released, but still be able to have this thing that you love in a different way, what's it going to be? And that's a very personal decision. Some people are like, they're highly competitive, which I am with myself, but I've really had to let that go because it's so easy to get caught up on who, what you used to be able to do or how much training you used to be able to do or how your times used to look and get kind of wrapped up in that ego of like, what will people think of me if I'm not performing? And at the end of the day, most people don't care. Yeah. And it was more important for me to be able to like, I want to be able to still go out and run five miles a day four or five days a week or a 10 miler on the weekends or, and then, and then someday it'll be three days a week. And then someday it'll be more hiking with a little, three miles of running. And that will be sad when it happens. It hasn't happened yet. So it's really easy for me on this side to be like, Oh, I'll I'll age gracefully with that in Mm -hmm. terms of my injury. But I saw what the type of training that I needed to do to get what I was doing before the progression of my osteoarthritis was bad, what it was trying to maintain that was doing to my body now mm. and it's not maintainable for me and it was yeah. in pain and I don't run to be in pain it's not why I do it's not why I do this yeah I don't it's not why I do this and it's my body telling me that something's not working mm-hmm. so I just yeah it was like hold on to something so tight that you're going to squish it and crush it and lose it or kind of be gentle with it so that you can have it a little bit longer and that's what yeah. I've been trying to do that's beautiful Hopefully that helps some people out there because I I see it a lot. Yeah. And it's like, you know, everyone's individual, so it's hard to say what will help someone versus someone else. And, like, we all only have our own experiences and what we've seen anecdotally. But Yeah, yeah and I think social media makes it hard because it's always people yes. posting PRs and their mileage per week and their pacing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. People, if they're proud of what they're doing, they should be able to share that. But how people receive that and and kind of – use that and compare themselves against that isn't healthy um, Mm -hmm. when you're going through something, whether it's new motherhood or it's injury or it's just, you know, whatever you're facing in life, compare, like that old saying, comparison is a thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And also like tying your, your, your ego up, you know, it was very clear in the beginning, I have no ego assigned to a race time. That does not at any way define my value as a human, as a coach, as an athlete, it's an experience. It's not a value. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean I didn't work hard. It doesn't mean I, I'm not passionate. It's just meeting my body where it's at. Yeah. That's powerful. I think so. It's been a good shift <laughs> for me the past couple of years. It really has. So. Yeah. And I think we'll all have to deal with that at some point or another. So. Yeah. yeah. Sadly. 
Some people are lucky, but life, whether it's injury or life circumstances, things happen where we can't be the athlete maybe we thought we were or we once were or we wanted to be. Maybe we thought we'd get to a certain point and have this certain mm -hmm. level. And then it's sitting with that and making peace with that. Yeah. And then like you, just doing what you can to enjoy where you are. Exactly. And that led you to Western States. Exactly. <laughs> and having the best day ever. Yeah. Literally the best day ever. I know. So, I would, oh, go hmm. ahead. I was gonna say I would change nothing about my race. That's an amazing feeling. I've never had that. I would change nothing. I don't think I've ever had that either. No, I hadn't. There's always like, oh, I could have done this better. or Maybe I shouldn't mm -hmm. have stopped at that aid station. Or maybe I should have done this different sock. Or maybe I, nope. No amazing. regrets. Nothing I would change. The whole experience was absolutely perfect just the way it was. So before we dive into that, because I have some thoughts about why your day was so amazing, just based okay. on your most recent Instagram post. Okay. Your training leading up to it, did you have any low points during that? Because I know you didn't have low points during the race, but I always find, not always, commonly I find the training for a race is much harder than the race itself. It can be. Yeah, I agree with you with that. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I did because we were living, I'm in Washington currently, but up until five weeks before the race, I was on just the border of, I was on Illinois right across the Mississippi from Missouri. Mm. So, you know, not a lot of trails where we were. And I had to drive about 55 minutes to get to a decent trail. And even that didn't have the type of gain or loss that I knew I would need for states. Yeah. So sometimes they would get into that. I really just want to be on the trails. You know, I really don't want to do an asphalt run this morning. This isn't where I want to be. But like during the week, I kind of had to. Mm -hmm. So, but lows, I had a couple long runs. Most of my long runs were really good. I did have a couple where the knee was kind of chatty. Mm. And it does, it does kind of make you stand back a little bit and be like, okay, if that was 30 miles or whatever it may be, how am I going to do 70 more if it's mm -hmm. already talking to me? So that little kernel of like, is this going to be okay? Yeah. 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 I imagine that is the toughest part. And yeah. I feel like anyone who's had an injury, like the hardest part of coming back from an injury is just thinking, what if it, what if it starts up again? Yeah. 100%. And that's again, why the universe was like tailbone. Cause I didn't <laughs> think about, I'm not kidding. My knee didn't make a peep until mile 98. Didn't feel a thing. Never that's even amazing. thought about it. I know. So like mission accomplished, just give me something else to worry about over here. And I didn't even think, which just shows you how powerful the mind is. Or when something else hurts worse, how your your brain can only like focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Or a combination of the two. Combination. But yeah, no, the knee was a non-issue during, it was, it's after all that worrying, That's totally amazing. a non-issue. I know. Not expected. Yeah. Well, you didn't have the best day ever. I so. did. Yeah, let's just dive into okay. that day. So that was a little over a week ago. And so part of why I think you had the best day ever is your mindset going into it, as you described it on Instagram. And you mentioned this a little before, but like tweaking your mindset from this is an event to this is an experience. And question one, how long have you been doing that? Because that seems like a very intentional choice. I guess that's the only question. <laughs> we might have some breakoffs. Yeah. Um, I want to say the big shift for that came after 2018 for me because mm. I had some nerve damage and I didn't, I couldn't run and walk without pain for nine months. Yeah. It was pretty bad. And so 
anybody that knew me at the time when I lived in Ohio, my husband was deployed for a year and I was living, I went back to Ohio and I had friends that I would walk with and be with and they saw how much pain I was in and how, I mean, I wasn't sleeping and the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on and they kind of blew me off. One medic, mm -hmm. one of the hospital doctors at the base was like, you think this is in your mind? And I'm like, you don't understand. I oh want God. to be active and running. I'm not going to be in, up at night with horrible pain for nothing. Yeah. And I remember telling some of my friends like, you know, if, if it means that States isn't in the, <laughs> so silly, it all comes back to States. But I was like, if, if, I need to make peace with the fact that states may not happen because right now I can't even walk without pain. I'll be mm -hmm. happy to just walk without pain and then run again. If I can run again, that will be a win. And if I can run a couple miles a couple times a week, I'll be happy. And and then I, you know, it took a long time, but I was able to run again and not be in pain. And then after that, it was like, you know, and in that way, COVID was kind of a blessing in disguise because I took my mm -hmm. medical buy in 2019 and then. COVID was like a pass for everybody. So I didn't have to do anything in 2019 or 2020. There was no, none of that pressure yeah. of like, I better find a race and I've got to perform. So it just let me explore the trails and hike and run and walk mm -hmm. and listen to my body. And after that, it was like, I just want to have these experiences more. I've always been more experience oriented, you know, hopefully anybody yeah. that's ran with me or paced me or been out there on a, they, they can attest to that. I'm always taking pictures and I'm just soaking it in. Like I've never yeah. been one of those, like got a place and got it. And that's great. There's not, I coach many an athlete that that is their goal, but we all have our own goals and that's not me. And I'm just so thankful to be out there with what, you know, after my knee injury and then the subsequent is issue I had. So I think after 2018, that was the biggest of like, if I get to do this again, I'm not taking any of this for granted. I'm not taking any of this for granted. So who cares about how long it takes me? If I can be out there and I can be happy, yeah. What more can you ask for? For me, yeah. I mean, I would encourage a lot of people to think more that way. Yeah. At least in conjunction, Process. if you have time goals too. But yeah, like yeah, and and there's a time and a place for time goals. I mean, I did it. I yeah. Wanted to BQ. I BQ'd. I did Boston. I mean, I I I've definitely. I'm not saying that I've never been that way or that I you know. If, if things were different, if I'd still be that way, you know, I can't, I have to, you know, I, I'm not reflecting on that because that's not how things are now, but mm -hmm. had this never been something that happened to me, I'd probably still be out there. Who knows, you know, but I just love running and I just love being in nature and I just love these experiences. And so to me, that's where I get satisfaction of the time isn't what's important to me. Obviously you have to make cutoffs and you have, there is yeah. a time cutoff, you know, but that's not where I derive my joy and, and feelings of satisfaction and purpose out there. Yeah. And that's a great a way to approach a race. I think so. Especially a race like this. Yeah. Where you've yeah. been waiting a long time. Exactly. Whether, you know, and, and you've been, and you only get one shot. With the way the lottery is now, I'm never going to be a, a top 10. I'm never going to be a golden ticket. So if I can go out there and say, this is your one chance, why wouldn't yeah. I like get my money's worth? Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. realistically, if you did want to get in again, it would be very hard. I mean, it's very oh, yeah. hard currently to get in. <laughs> I mean, I have a girlfriend that got in on one ticket. It does happen. Yeah. But it's like the long haul of just planning on just like grinding away at it, which is part of the process that I love. I like that process. Yeah. But I'm not sure my knee would enjoy that process for another decade. Yeah. That's yeah. a long, long time of running. Yeah. 
to do a hundred too <laughs> with that type of volume you know so. yeah 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 but you had the best day ever mm-hmm. i guess just walk me through it like from the start to the finish oh yeah how much time do we have no, I'm just kidding. I'll try to be <laughs> um i woke up that morning without the alarm at 3 a.m ready to go had my breakfast <laughs> had my co- my little coffee and got dressed and went down to the start and hubby dropped me off and I ended up standing next to a lovely woman named Melissa from Australia and she will come back because we, we caught up each other near the end and actually finished close by each other, which was super fun. Nice. And as soon as the gun went off, I started sobbing. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Ugly crying. We haven't even done anything yet and I'm already crying. Uh, so that was very good. emotional time. I, I was. I can be a very emotional person. Um, and, and it's all happy. It's all good. And then yeah. I started up the escarpment and just soaked it in, stopped and took a couple pictures and it was awesome. And we actually had one of the, I think it was the second coldest states in history. So like, so. we'll get to that when we get to the canyons, because that oh. I honestly think a big part in my ability to have such a good race too, because huh. I lost so much time in the beginning. I did not think I'd be as behind as I was with that snow. I didn't think it would cost me that much time of having to take it so easy and being stuck in conga lines, maybe being the cause of a conga line. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, you know? Yeah. So it, 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 it costs so much time and energy. We were all, you know, it's so fatiguing every time you're falling and people were slipping. It looked like drunk, drunk penguins out there. People were just <laughs> falling and, you know, where I was, not the lead pack. Those people yeah. were like, you know, gazelles on the ice. I, don't, I saw Camille fall on the live stream. So. Okay, that makes me feel better. We were oh, yeah. falling. Sorry, not I don't want anybody to fall, but like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was just it was slippery. It wasn't mm-hmm. like fluffy ice snow. It was ice, and yeah. it where it gets like smashed down with people like sliding and then their feet going out. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I fell, and then I'm worried about my knee. And then the tailbone happened, which took my mind off the knee. So by the time we could run again, you're kind of fatigued, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I tried, that's why I tried to take it so easy in the snow because I didn't want to waste all my energy. So I told preemptively before starting, I told my family, I said, if you're tracking me, please don't panic. It's going to be slow. You are going to wonder what the hell is going on. I was even, I was even slower than I thought I would be, but mm-hmm. I intent, and my intention was the first 50K, it's going to be more run hike because mm-hmm. of the snow, which it was. And then by the time I got to last chance, uh, like mile 43, the girl that was the woman that was supposed to pace me who wasn't able to, she's the captain at that station. And I was having a couple little foot issues. And she's like, hey, girl, let's let's take care of these now. I was like, well, I was thinking about getting to Michigan Bluff. And she's like, no, let's take care of these now. And then you can do the canyons, which was a good call. Mm-hmm. And we did that. And then I went off into the canyons. And um, pro tip, if you are slower, you don't have to worry about the sun being right on you because it's already gone behind the other mountain. Oh, that sounds so, so nice. So the sun was kind of already going back. So it wasn't like right over us. Yeah. Also, it was, uh, I think, like I said, the second coldest, coolest year in the, 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 the history of the race. So I think it got the max was like 80 when like this past weekend, it would have been 115. I saw that. Ten. Yeah. Mm. So we really got lucky. Yeah. And I'm not sure... I would have been able to keep myself out of cutoff territory if it had been that bad. I'm good. I don't know. I'm, I run really well in heat. Mm-hmm. I do. For someone who prefers cold, I do run well in the heat. But that would have been hard. 
Yeah. And I, I don't want to underestimate how much that of a toll that would have taken. Um, and climbing Devil's Thumb was the only part of the race where I was like, yeah, this is hard. Like I wasn't unhappy about it, but it was like I had to sit down just for a second at the top and get some ginger ale because I was like, that took something out of me because most of my training was in fabulous flat Illinois. Yeah. But it was fine. And I just started chipping away at cutoffs after that. I think when I got into Michigan Bluff, I think I was technically... So the cutoffs are very generous at the aid stations. But that's like the aid station cutoff doesn't mean you actually finish in the time. And I think Mm. my crew told me after the fact, like when I got to Forest Hill, but at Michigan Bluff, I was five minutes behind 30 hour cutoff finish time. And when I got to Forest Hill seven... Roughly seven and a half miles later, I think I'd made up like 35 minutes. Wow. We were crushing it. I yeah. Was throwing, I was throwing it down. <laughs> Once I could run, when I got to an area where I could run, I could run and hike and run and hike and be more aggressive. Um, and that's when the whole like, like I mentioned in my post, I've always said I'm a bad night runner. Mm-hmm. It's always been the narrative I've told myself. That's always what I've told people like, oh, I'm so bad at night running. And this race, prior to even everything happening, I said the whole week leading up to it, I'm like, nights are an area of opportunity for me. Like, I'm not going to say I'm a bad night runner. I'm going to say I have opportunities to improve. And the way the race played out, I had no choice. Because if I had slowed down during the night, I wouldn't have made the cutoffs. So mm. it was literally like you, I didn't have a choice. But I had made the decision that it, I wasn't going to be an option not to have a more aggressive, for me, night than I did in the, I have in the past. So just lucky that it all came together. And I think part of it is fueling so well and having a more conservative start led to me having a ton of energy at the finish in the second half. I just had so much energy. Yeah. I was, as you were speaking, thinking like the snow really slowed you down, but I wonder how much that ultimately ended up helping you in the end. Absolutely. My crew and I had talked about this, my head crew, Julie, and I had talked about this prior when we saw the forecast the week out. And she's like, you know, if you have to have the snow, I'd rather have, I I would keep the snow. And if you can have that cooler weather, then have it be no snow and hot weather. So yeah. we got, we got lucky, you know, so it, the snow was fine because it made you take that, you couldn't overpace or, you know, go too aggressive in the beginning so that you, I still had the energy to have a, a really good night. Yeah. So many places we could go. I know. Let's let's go to fueling. Okay. Because I want to talk about the fact that you had almost 50 gels. Yes. Which is Never insane. Done that <laughs> Never done that before. Yeah. I was doing two gels an hour. You can do the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's a lot. But I have celiac disease. So mm-hmm. I can't use, and it's only three years since my diagnosis. So I'm like a baby celiac. Oh. And so I can't use any aid station food. Like all your t- typical, and I can't, you know, people are like, oh, but you can just have the bananas that are cut. No, because they could cut the banana with the same knife that they cut the sandwiches with. Because oh. food prep at aid stations is not like at a, a five-star restaurant where like they have special knives and they, they don't mix. Yeah. Um, and cr- I'm incredibly sensitive to cross-contact, like symptomatically. And so if I get any, any even the barest hint of it, it's really bad. Mm. So... I started early and I was fueling really well. I'm really proud of myself. I stepped to my plan. I had a plan. I stuck to it. And then at some point, I remember I grabbed a gluten-free cookie out of one of my drop bags and I mm-hmm. took like two bites of it. And I was like, Pfft. not because it was making me throw up, but I just spit it out because I was like, this is not, this is not it. This is huh. not, I can tell this probably isn't going to settle well. 
Um, I did a little scratch recovery drink. I did infinite and I did Roctane, which they had at aid stations. Other than the celiac, I will say I pride myself on I have a pretty good stomach. So I I can do different brands of things and not have too many issues. I have preferences, but I don't get sick from trying to, you know, I try different things in the past so that I can do yeah. that. So yeah, but the gels, the Morton gel specifically, and I then did goos from the aid stations. Those were settling well. So I just kept pounding them down. And it was like, it was hilarious at night because my pacers, we set a, an alarm every 30 minutes, it would go off. And boy, those 30 minutes went by fast because they're like, it's gel time. And I'm like cussing under my breath. And they're like, are you eating? I'm like, yes, I'm eating it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've gotten really good. at just literally like even my one pacer was like, damn, you take those quick. It's just like down the hatch, drink the water, done. Like I don't ruminate on it. I don't savor it. It's just a means to an end. It's calories that my body needed. I took, yeah. there was no like, oh, I can't wait to have this thing where that's where I feel bad about. Because the whole week I, I was telling my husband, please go to Costco and get me my favorite gluten-free pizza. Please mm -hmm. go to Costco. And when you get to the Airbnb, please cook this gluten-free pasta. I mean, this, sorry, this pizza on the, you know, the, the foil so it doesn't get cross contact with their oven. Like I had a whole protocol for him and God bless this man. He went out and got the pizzas. He cooked the pizzas, joyfully brought them up to me at Michigan Bluff. And I was like, no, I, was like, I didn't want the damn pizzas. And the poor guy went out of his way, 30 minutes each way to Costco to get this pizza, cook this pizza, cut this pizza, package this pizza, bring this pizza. And I remember I grabbed, I'm like, I don't want it. And I'm like, I'll grab it. And I just shoved it in the back of my pack and it stayed there till the finish. And every aid station, he'd see me, do you want the pizza? I'm like, no, I don't want the pizza. Because everything was working and I didn't want to add anything down and then start to have, my energy was stable. My mood was stable. Things were fine. And I'm like, I don't want to risk putting something down there and my body being like, nope. Yeah, that's fair, so, especially in a race that long. Yeah. And, and all my training runs, I mean, I did train with gels. That was part of the plan, but I did do more whole foods. I did the bobos. Yeah. I did the pizza. I did the scratch shoes. Oh, I did have a couple. I think I had two or three packages of scratch shoes. So I did okay. do that. Those are good. Mm -hmm. I, I love like them. Blueberry was good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like that one. But uh, it was definitely more weighted in the gel the gel department of things, which I've never thought I'd be that person. Yeah. I feel like that's fairly rare for an ultra runner who is not front of the pack. I know, right? Apparently you yeah. can do it if you're the back of the pack, folks. You can do it for almost 30 hours. Uh, and it wasn't because of like a performance exam, you know, performance advantage. It was because I trust nothing at the tables Yep, and I could carry them easily on me. And they were working. If they weren't working, I would have had to pivot. I would have taken the time to try the pizza. I would have. I did get, and I think I mentioned, but if not, I did do two bananas. Because oh. I can get the, a couple aid stations had a whole banana. And if and I can have a whole banana. I know I sound super precious, but it's a whole cross-contact thing. So if if I have the whole banana, it was safe. And I, I don't, I have a little like burnt out bananas from one of my other hundreds where I ate a lot of them because... So I'm a little burnout on bananas right now, but it gets the job done. It's a means to an end. I love food. I love to eat. I love cooking. But during a race, it's not it. And like, this is just a job. Like, just put it down. Mm -hmm. Get it Get it down. Move on. So Yeah. I personally think that fueling is the worst part of ultra marathons. It can be. It's just like such a chore sometimes. 
And I think especially when you don't want to eat. Yeah. And so many, I think part of the problem that a lot of people face that I know I faced, which has been one of the bright spots of the whole celiac thing for me, which I guess anybody could choose to do this in any way they want, but it eliminated decision fatigue for me because I can't use anything Mm. off the aid station. So I no longer waste time thinking about it. I know what I can have. I know what is safe for me to have. And I know what I've packed in my drop bags and that's it. So Every drop bag I had, I had a smaller bag with, and I made a list of like what mile I was at, how many miles to the next aid station and how many miles to the next drop bag. And I made my little packs based on how many hours I thought it would take me to get from each drop bag. And I would, so when I got to my drop bag, that pack, I would just grab the whole Ziploc, throw it in my pack. And I had to consume that before the next aid station or the next drop bag. So I didn't have to think about it. You know, if I needed 600 calories, my little pack had 600 calories and on I went. And so it took a lot of that decision fatigue out for me, which really has helped. It's That's been a wonderful part of it. Oh, I believe it. Especially there's so many decisions you have to make in a yeah. race, especially yeah. when things go wrong. Yeah. So having, and that, yeah. And I think that's so vital too for other people. Kind of the takeaway is like also of like eliminate decision fatigue in as many areas as you can. Mm-hmm. And I explicitly told my pacers, don't ask me what I need. Tell me you need, don't say, do you need to eat? Tell me you're eating, eat. Mm. Like if we know if, because we had these conversations of how often I should be eating and how often I should be drinking. Don't ask me, do you think you need to eat now? Because then that makes me have to think about, like just, I take direction very well. Just like, it's time to eat. Okay. You know, not like, how are you feeling? Let's talk about our feelings, you know? And so it was, it's, I said, let's just eliminate don't ask me what I need. Just tell me what you're going to do. And I'll tell you if it's not the right thing. You know, yeah. I'm a big girl. But that, I think, helped significantly, too. Because then it wasn't that whole, like, you know, you get, to, you get to your crew and they've got, like, a bevy of things lined up for you. They're like, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want this? Do you want that? And you're like, oh, geez. You know, it's two in the morning. I don't yeah. want to think about it. Just, just hand me the socks. You know, just tell me what I need to do. Not to take that decision-making away, you know, that that power and control of being able to make your own decisions. But in some cases in a race, it's just noise. It's just wasted energy. It's an energy leak. So yeah. if you can just have it be where you're just on this system. And my pacers were awesome. They, we were so, we were a well-dialed machine. It was fantastic that it, there wasn't a question of like, maybe you should eat now. It's like, get your gel. Get yeah. your gel. Okay. And I think making, like you mentioned, having that alarm every 30 minutes really helps because it's like, the time has passed. It's time yeah. to fuel again. Yeah. Where you're not going like, well, shoot, is it? I don't know what time. Trail math is hard. Yeah. You're like, when's the last time I ate? I don't really know. <laughs> uh-huh. Was it 115 or was it 145? And it's now 2.30. So has it been an hour and 15 minutes or has it only been 45 minutes? I mean, it's like, yeah. and then once you get behind on fueling, it is so hard to get yourself back out because that spiral of nausea and energy mm-hmm. dip and then on and on and on. So that was, you know, I'm always a big proponent of controlling your controllables. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I can control. I can control my pacing. I control my fueling and hydration. And I can control my attitude. So I'm like, can't control much else on that course. Don't know what's going to happen. The weather, conditions. Mm-hmm. But I can control those things. And I think that's where, like, of all my races, this is where I had the most success at nailing all of those things. Yeah. So going back to night running, mm-hmm. why did you always think you were bad at night running? Why was that your narrative? Because history told me that I was because I I didn't do the things I should have done. So I'm I have depth perception issues because I wear readers, but like mm-hmm. I had LASIK when I was younger. 
And I get tired really easily because I wake up early and I'm a total circadian rhythm. Like the, the sun goes down and I'm looking for my bed, you know, I'm just, so as soon as I'm, you know, out there, um, I think pacing issues in the past. Mm-hmm. I think some of my, like, I think we've talked about when I was younger and would be super aggressive in the beginning of races. And then it would come back to bite me later at night where you're yeah. just tired. I think I had, I wasn't as consistent with fueling in the past. Mm-hmm. I think I just, I just kind of assumed like, that's just the night. The nights are going to be hard instead of taking responsibility of like, why were the nights hard? Did you, were you not using a good light system? Were you not fueling? Did you not pace properly up to that point? So as soon as I looked through the lens of like, oh, wait a second, if I do these things, that's probably going to control how I feel, mm-hmm. cause and effect. And it did. And also just being so present, like in the race, like a lot of times races, you kind of get to the night begrudgingly. I know some people that love night running and I do too, but not when I've been up for 15 hours, you know, yeah. it's like, if you want to go on a night run and I'm well rested, fabulous. But I just, this was the first one. I'm like, but this is part of the experience. You know, I'm on the course. It's at night. Rucky Chucky in the boat at night. I remember going, this is like Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> in the little raft at night. It's like, where are the pirates going to hop out? It was just so like, not tell, like, instead of telling myself like, well, you're just a bad night runner and that's the way it's going to be. It was like, but why am I bad? Am I, am I bad air quotes at night running? Oh, because it's probably these, all these other things that I wasn't managing properly in the day. So if I, if I look for opportunities to improve there, let's see how, what happens. And it was just like night and day, no pun intended. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. And that's such a good lesson because I feel like whether it's running or some other aspect of our life, a lot of us have certain narratives about ourselves. And like you're saying, like there's a lot more we can control and things that we can do to make us not fit that narrative. Yeah. But when, and, and we just, we don't have to believe that about yourself. Like yeah. you can, you know, you can use that and as an excuse of like, oh, I'm just bad at night running. And that's why it just goes to South, you know, it goes South. Mm-hmm. And, or you could be like, but wait, maybe if I paced better, maybe if I fueled better, maybe if I had a different attitude about it and looked for opportunities, it would change the experience. And like you said, I think that's more than just running. That's life mm-hmm. in general, you know? So that was a powerful takeaway from this event for sure. Yeah. So many life lessons in ultra running. You say it's like a life in a day. <laughs> Seriously, especially a hundred miler. Gear question. What did you land on for your lighting? Because I have a race coming up this year that we start at 5 a.m. So I will be in the dark and I don't know what to use. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't. I'm personally not a head lamp person because it hurt. I've got a big noggin and it just hurts. It does hurt. Yeah. It's just I see people doing that. I'm like, that must be nice. Also, I like to have more control of like Mm. where I'm pointing my light. Um, So several years ago, I did spring for a Kogala. Those, those expensive, like, light up, like, a stadium light. It's like a, oh, oh God. It's like it's stadium lights, light. It's so bright. Um, I did get one of those, and I do use that. But I also use this this awesome little flashlight that I've used since my first Ultra. And I got, back in the day, they were on Amazon for, like, $6.99. I think they're, like, $10.99 now. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, scuba diving flashlights. So they're, like, water repellent. And they're bright yellow. And they are the best little flashlights because they're huh. cheap. And so if I lose it or break it or have to leave it at an aid station, I don't cry and I can sweep the trail with it and I can point it at things. So if I have to turn my Kogala light off coming into an aid station, I can use that little, that little flashlight. So that's what I use. 
And I've used an Ultra Aspire waist pack too. Okay. But um, I like the Kogala just throws shadows better, which helps with that depth perception. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard that a good lighting system really makes a difference when you're totally. running at night. Totally. Especially, Especially on trail. Yeah, yeah, where you can trip and fall. So. <laughs> yeah. Or you will, whether you can or not. Someone like me, you know, it's like, I will find a way. It's always that tiny little, tiny, tiny little thing that you don't see. The smallest so. thing. Did you fall at night? Nope. I didn't fall once I got through the snow. I did not fall. Did not trip. Well, no, lie. I tripped. I did not trip and fall. Yeah. Trips are different than falls, though. Yeah. I caught myself. I was pretty impressed. I was like, core work for the win. (laughs) (laughs) That is our uh, podcast plug to do your strength training. (laughs) Get on it, people. Core for the win. Yeah. All my stabilizer muscles were on fire. Yeah. They're super important. Mm -hmm. Super important. Another gear question, because I know we like the same brand shoes. Yes. What did you wear for Western States? I wore topos. Going back, no, I'm not, I, I was like, I wouldn't change a thing. I probably would have, I would have changed anything. It would have been the order of the shoes that I wore, not the shoes themselves. So I would have probably started, I started with the Ultra Venture and then flipped into the Mountain Racer. I would have started oh. with the Mountain Racer and finished with the Ultra Venture. But the reason I didn't do that, and that literally was a morning decision, and I, I second guessed myself is that I hadn't run as far on the mountain racer and I didn't know because they were a new shoe and I wasn't sure how it would handle. Yeah. And so I ended up running longer in them anyways, (laughs) but I would have, I would have enjoyed the little bit more of the cushion that the ultra venture gives Mm -hmm. near the end. Yeah. And I think the mountain racer would have held up better in the high country. Okay. I could see that. Yeah, that was a that was the I guess if we have to have one call, I'd make different, <laughs> but I wouldn't change the shoes I'm wearing, you know. And some of the blister shoes I had was a stupid sock choice that, or just mm. the foot, you know, feet getting wet, rubbing. Just yeah, and it like happens running for 29 hours. It was I know 29, 14, 28. <laughs> it was still less blisters than I've had in my previous races, so that was a win. That is a win. That's huge. Yeah. Blisters have always been something I've dealt with always not in training runs only in races like once I get through a certain point it's like this threshold and then my feet are like "Eh, we're done is it a certain mileage or like a certain condition it's definitely worse with humidity my my midwest races were far worse than this drier west coast race but it's pretty much anything after like the 100k okay yeah, something that I don't really hit in training runs. Yeah, fair. Nowadays. So my, I try to callous them up as best as possible. My my foot modeling days are behind me. <laughs> but I yeah, this still wasn't. And this was the best I felt with blisters, if that makes sense. Like I was able mm-hmm. to tune out the pain, it the discomfort. Where in the past, I'd again, back with the nights are hard and then I'd slow down and then I'd throw a pity party and feel bad for myself and all oh, my blisters hurt. And this was like, oh, we got to run. We got to hike. We don't have time to think about that. Yeah. And and you do this long enough and you realize like it hurts and then it won't hurt anymore. Yeah. It'll eventually stop. Yep. Yeah. Is there anything during the race that we haven't covered that you want to bring up? I'm going to talk about golden hour next. Oh, well, that was amazing. But no, I think, I mean, it was just amazing. I had the best possible crew and pacers and I just never have felt so vivid and present in a race before, which is like the best feeling yeah I feel like that's all you can ask for yeah yeah it was and even the snow as frustrating as it was in the moment of like I mean I was running with this girl it's the best story 
Well, for me in the moment, you had to have been there, but we're like, we get this, you'd go through like 10 miles of snow uh-huh. and then we had like a couple miles where we didn't have it and then we got it again. And so we're like finally getting some trail time and we turn this corner, it's this big snow drift and she's like, what the F is that? <laughs> Just the, like from her soul, it was like crushed, like what is that? Because <laughs> we thought we were done. Yeah. And we knew we weren't because the pre-race briefing told us we weren't going to be. But <laughs> when it hits you in the real world, like you, 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 in theory and then execution, you're like, maybe he was lying. Yeah. Maybe he had it wrong. No, he did not. There was more snow. But even that was hilarious. I will never get that out of my brain. <laughs> just, just that sad, sad, like instant rage of like, oh, no. Yeah, when you like yeah. realize you have to go through something you don't want to go through. And you thought you were done. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can all relate to that. All <laughs> life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So tell me how it felt to finish during golden hour. So for those who don't know, golden hour is the last hour before the 30-hour cutoff. At the finish line, literally like everyone is there cheering people on. Yeah. It's like the best time to finish. If you can't, If you can't win – and you're not getting a sub 24, like, I'm joking. I mean, get your time. Like, I, you know, but like, I knew, I knew I was going to be golden hour. When Coop first asked me, when I first got in, we were doing one of our calls. He's like, so what's your goal time? I'm like, 29, 59, 59. Like, not even joking. And he's like, oh, well, that's cool. That means you won't have any pressure. You'll probably really enjoy the day. I'm like, absolutely. That's exactly what I want. Um, if I finish before, I mean, but if, as long as I'm in that 30 hour window, I'm fine. And I was not, being like falsely modest or coy, I truly expected it would probably be in that last hour just on playing it safe with my knee. And I've never played it safe in a race before. There's always been that part of me like, I'm going to go for it or I'm going to do this. And I'm like, I cannot mess this up. I will not get this again. And I've known too many wonderful friends that are amazing runners that didn't, that something went wrong at States and they didn't make it. And I'm like, I can't, I didn't try this hard to not finish this. So Oh, it was awesome. Oh, it was the best. It's the best. And the best part is we're like going up like mile 97. And I remember we're making our way up the trail, me and my pacer and this girl, this woman and her pacer are in front of us. And she's like, you know, we get t-shirts, right? And I'm like, what? They give you a special t-shirt if you're a golden hour finisher. Seriously? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I get a t-shirt too? Like, That's so cool. Oh. So not only is the stadium have like 2,000 people in it just screaming, which you feel like is for you, but it's yeah. for everybody. But you get a t-shirt. So I got two t-shirts. Amazing. I got the finisher t-shirt and I got the 20-hour fit. The 29, they call them the 29ers. Oh, the like 49ers. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing because I got to Roby Point, which is that 98.5. So you have like a mile, 1.7 miles to go because it's like 100.2 miles for the mm-hmm. course. And the first person I saw is an is Hal, who is an internet friend, but we've never met. And mm-hmm. he is a CTS athlete, but he works with Coop. And anyways, we have lots of, he's a physiotherapist. And we have lots of strength banter and I lost it. He's got a video of me just like, <laughs> I start crying when that. I see him. <laughs> and then he joined. So it was me and him and my pacer. And then we picked up my husband and then, which was amazing. And then we picked up Coop who was mm-hmm. out there waiting. And then it's like, we get, he's another you know, recording and then we get to the track you know, the whole time they're like, just one more little hill. And then you get to the track and then you're like, that's when the explicative started. Like I told you in the pre-call. <laughs> and uh, I have, I am, my mother is so proud of me and my mouth 
And, but it was just like this feeling of like, holy crap. Like I knew it. I knew it with every fiber of my being, I was going to finish this thing. Like I never doubted myself, but then like mile 90 hit and I started crying because I knew I was going to finish. Like, you know, assuming no ankle roll or anything catastrophic, like it's real at that point. Like, especially you get to single digits. And then when you hit Roby point, you're like, oh my God, like, this is really going to happen now. Like I believed it. I believed it, but now I'm actually experiencing it. All those things I thought about, I dreamt about, I played in my mind of what this would feel like. And then it's actually happening mm-hmm. like that visual visualization works. And, and then I just started running on the track and I was just screaming and cheering for myself. And it was, it was amazing. And then the woman who put the medal over my neck was a friend that I used to run with a decade ago who also had a knee injury. Oh and my she's actually, yeah. And so she's on the board or she was, I think she still is. And so every year she'd be up there on the stage during the drawing and every year, you know, she'd hope that my name would get drawn. And then afterwards she's like, it'll be your year some year, you know, I, I'm going to be there when your name gets drawn. And then it was, and then she was the one waiting to put the medal over my neck, which was just, Aww. I didn't expect to see her there. Yeah. Like, and it was just so perfect that she'd be the one to do it. It was, it was awesome. It was the best possible, like closing the loop as it were. Yeah. That's so special. And you were moving really well at the end. I felt faster in my brain than the video shows, but yes, thank you. (laughs) I look back at my split. I'm like, oh, that's cute. (laughs) Videos never do justice to whatever speed someone is running. Oh, it's all kidding aside. I was so happy. Like that's how good I felt. It was like, yeah, the blisters hurt. Yeah, the tailbone hurt. Yeah, the fatigue. But like, I was just so like, oh, it's happening. It's, it's happening. <laughs> so I was really, really, I felt really good. And I had, I had a, I'm happy with my finish. So I had one athlete, they're like, you look like you were sore. I'm like, everything hurts at that point, you yeah. know, to a point. My soul didn't hurt, but everything else was like, you know, you're just, and also you're emotional. Like, are you, you know, crying and happy? And it's just, it was, it was awesome. So yeah, it was good. Did you lose it once you crossed the finish line? I actually didn't. And I thought I would. That's surprising. I know I lost it earlier, apparently. Yeah. Maybe you Um, got it all out. I think I did. I I (laughs) hugged, I hugged Allison who gave me my medal and then they gave me my t-shirt. I remember them them shoving a, a flask of water Mm-hmm. Like, a, I wish I had it. It was like an ultimate direction flask at me. This oh. this gentleman just, here's some water. And I'm like, I don't want your used water. I didn't realize they were giving all the finishers a new flask with fresh water in it. Oh. It was like a gift. It was an ultimate direction flask. And I'm like, I took it. But I was like, and then I was like, oh, it's part of it. Because I thought some guy was just handing me his, his used water, which was wonderful. I gratefully accepted it, but I was mm-hmm. confused. No, I didn't. I didn't cry. I didn't lose it. I was so happy. I was, I had so much energy. I was yeah. just so happy. And then we stayed and cheered everybody else on. And, but then that next morning, I don't know if you've ever seen the AJW video before your next 100 miler that, no. that I run far put out. Billy Yang did. Oh gosh. Five years ago. Tw- yeah. No, 2016. It's five minutes long. I think it's from the 2016. So okay. it's not five years ago. Back to our conversation of time Seven and space. Have, yeah. <laughs> Shush. Um, and every time I'd watch that leading up to the race, I'd cry. Every mm-hmm. time. I'd, I'd like just put it on, just like get, get the motions primed. Let's go. And 
I went, I, my husband was still sleeping and I crawled out of our Airbnb bed and I went out into the living room on the couch and I just put it on my phone and I just sobbed the whole thing. Aww. Just cried the whole thing because I was just like reliving it all over again. Yeah. And I was just so happy. So it was good. I wish everybody could have whatever it is to them, whatever makes something perfect to them. Because I know my experience, some people are very time time based and that's fine. I'm not going to take yeah. that. I coach many athletes that that is the reason they do this is how hard can I push myself? How far can I push myself? I want to be better than I was before. But for me and what my goals were, I, I could not have orchestrated or planned or visualized or if I had written the script, it couldn't have been as good as what yeah. it ended up being. And I just hope everybody has an experience like that in their life where it's just so joyful and so fun and so positive and just so happy for 29 plus hours. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it's just the best experience. Plus the decade prior that you've been anticipating yeah. this. And to have it live up to that and exceed yeah. it. Yeah. Because there's always that fear of like you want something so bad and you visualize it in your mind and you hear stories and you watch the videos and then you get there and you're like, oh, it kind of falls flat. Yeah. Or or maybe you don't have the race, you know, that you thought you'd have. And which is why circling back, I took all time out of the table. I just mm -hmm. wanted to have, I wanted to, exp like, I think I put in my post, I wanted joy to be the driver versus just the backseat observer. I wanted yeah. to be fully present and engaged. And I wanted to give myself the time to, to engage with people and take a picture and just like soak it up versus like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, which happens with cutoffs. Yeah. But I didn't, yeah, it was just... I don't know. It was just wonderful. I'm just, it's going to take a long time before that one doesn't still keep a smile on my face. Yeah. Hopefully never. I don't think so. I think, I think after wanting it so bad and working so hard towards it and just, yeah, I think, I think that I don't think I can top that. Yeah. Especially since Western States is like one of the pinnacles of trail running at the present mm -hmm. moment in to a lot of people our country. Are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, there's always now the 200 is the new 100 and other things, Ugh. but I don't know. <laughs> but I think, I, I think there's just something. It's like the only thing I can equi equate it to is like Boston for Roadrunners. Yeah. But even Boston, your odds of getting in are much higher. Mm -hmm. So not to take away from that, but it's still that like that thing that's kind of out there that you maybe strive for or you want to bump yourself up against or you want to just kind of keep of why you do the thing you do. And, and I do what I do for many reasons, but states, anybody that knows me knows states is an experience I've wanted to have for a very long time. Yeah. So, so question now that states is over, mm -hmm. I think I know the answer, but have you had a moment of like the post-race blues yet? No. The only thing I've had is I wish I could do it again because I just, yeah. I wish... Like I was so present and I, I soaked it all up, but I just like, I just want to go back and do it again because, but I'd have to have that experience again. Like I yeah. don't want to go do it again and have that be any different, but just, you know, it's like watching your favorite movie again. Yeah. You know, you just wish you could live it again or experience it again. And I can't, which is part of the reason I wanted to be there when I was there because I've never had a race be so vivid. I can remember smells. I can remember signs, sounds. I can remember conversations throughout the whole thing where mm -hmm. normally there's like this dead zone of like, I yes. don't know what happened at mile 78. Don't ask, you know, it's kind of like what stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays yeah. in Vegas. It's like, there's <laughs> like this like blackout and I didn't have that. So I just have to, I have to live it back through the memories, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, I hope but, you don't have a post-race blues moment. I don't, I'm hoping. I don't think I will. I feel like because it, it was everything I could have now. wanted. Yeah, and it was everything I would have wanted. There's no regrets. There's no wish. A, wish I had or should have or could have. It's it's it was perfect. So there's nothing I. There's no nothing to be blue about. More of just like, oh man, the community is so awesome and being out there and it's like, which is why I've already booked a room and I'm going back out next year to crew, pace, or volunteer, however yeah. I'm needed. I'm that's a great way to soak up that energy, mm-hmm. you know, and and let a different group of people have their experience there. Yeah. Do you think the absence of this goal that you've had for ten plus years will be like a void you'll need to fill? No. I think it's just part of my experience. I think it's just part of, it's just something that I've wanted to do and I've done it and I I love it and I don't think I need to move on or I need to fill it with something else or I think I have, I have lots of things I want to do in my life. Yeah. You know, and this is just one thing that I really wanted to do and, and how lucky that I got to do it. And so I don't feel the need to like, oh, on to the next thing or what's it going to be next? Because as we talked about, I mean, I'm not saying this will be my last hundred, but it's probably going to be my last. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be my last hundred. Yeah. I love training for hundreds. I love the long run. I love every part of it. Again, process runner. Mm-hmm. But I want to maintain my health of my joint. And yeah. I want, and I know people say, oh, you can still run on a knee replacement. Eh, whether you should or not, I'm not going to, like, I don't want to put my body through surgery if I can avoid it, you know, yeah, that's by fair. decisions I make. And I don't want to run in pain. And there's so many other things I can still do that are shorter distance or just go out and run yeah. because I want to see the sunset. Yeah. Because so, you live super close to trails now. I do. Quarter mile from my front, from my front door. I know. I oh did time in many states that I deserve. Give me this. You but do deserve it. <laughs> I, uh, it. Thank you. But yeah, I, 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 I think it's just, I'm just really lucky to have had the experience. I'm really, for, I'm really grateful that I got to do this and have it go better than I could have hoped. Yeah. The perfect day. It was the perfect day. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. Hopefully we, I kept some semblance of a, a, a theme and a coherent oh, yeah. thought process, but thank you for having me. Yeah. I mean, I always say the best podcasts are when like, you know, we have an idea of what we want to talk about, which was Western States, but then, you know, we explore where the conversation goes and just let it flow. Yeah. I, I think that. we did that. I think we did. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you for coming. If anyone wants to follow you, where can they find you? Uh, Sarah.Scazzaro, S-C-O-Z-Z-A-R-O on Instagram. That's yeah. Pretty and much I'll... where I'm, I'm at. <laughs> yeah. You post a lot of cats and trails. Yes. And strength. Which I'm going to yes. get back on because I'm just I'm just getting my new gym space ready. So <sighs> once the tailbone is super simpatico, we'll be out there more. But I'm excited. Yeah. Your strength posts, I don't know how many I have saved now, Aww. but like so many. Thank They're you. So that good. means a lot. That means a lot. I appreciate that. I do. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. Highly recommend anyone who needs help with strength, go to your page. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that. Or listen to your podcast with Coop, which I'll also link. Oh, the, thank you. I think those were really good. And you get a cat cameo. Yeah. <laughs> so, I did my best to take care of that for this call. Sorry, everybody, if you were hoping that would happen. So. I know. We somehow made it through without your cat interrupting or my cat, which, which is, is kind of, considering we're both cat people, a little disappointing and kind of like I know crazy. I yeah. don't know. Like 
where's pumpkin i know where moose is he's locked behind a door (laughs) (laughs) you're a better mom than i you're just like mine's out on my catio i'm like mine's locked behind a door with a sound machine on yeah pumpkin's probably staring at squirrels (laughs) it's the best life (laughs) it is that's a wrap on this week's episode thank you so much for listening to this if you like this podcast please rate subscribe review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them it helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message and if you haven't already connect with me on instagram or tiktok at coaching klutz you can also find me at my website coachingklutz.com if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs and i will talk to you all next time